Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Church, are you ready to say good morning? Good morning, church. Morning, <laughs> I actually think you're getting better all the time with that, guys. That was awesome. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see all of you today and it's going to be lovely to open God's Word with you. The passage that was read today I'm actually going to tackle next week. I'm moving to James chapter 4 and on the topic of how to change, how do we find lasting change in our lives, lasting gospel change. And uh, thank you for whoever put the tissues on the, on the pulpit, that's very kind. <laughs> I have a few prayer points that I'd like to raise with you first, if you'll forgive me for doing that. Just a few things that I would like you to be aware of. Um, and thank you, Ollie, for letting us know uh, about Andrew's funeral and uh, a bittersweet moment to really see how wonderfully this beautiful man impacted so many lives and to bring glory to God as has already has happened many times over the past week. And uh, so be prepared for that on Friday. Gina Vallos is with us this morning. I saw, Gina, there you are, Gina, I've chased you out. Um, Gina has suffered terribly over the last months with the cancer and some of her mother suffering from dementia as well. And we just, Gina, I said to the morning, early morning congregation, I prayed a couple of weeks ago for a number of people and I greeted you in the foyer that morning and I didn't pray for you and I'm very sorry for that. And we just give glory to God for the way you have managed your mother and managed your own suffering and largely on your own. I know Chris has been a great support. I know Felix and the youth, uh, his home group have been a great support, but we continue to pray for you and would like the honour of praying for you this morning. Bless you, sister. You're just uh, such an encouragement. Dot uh, Stroop is with us this morning as well. Dot, I, mean, I went to court and on Friday and um, that was a difficult time, but we saw the Lord work powerfully, Dot. And uh, you've been a, such a testimony, the way the Lord's working in you and the strength that he's given you, Dot, and the plans and the hope that he has for you for the future. And uh, glory to God for your sister. We continue to, to stand with you in prayer. Uh, Dom Hops uh, contacted me this week and just wanted to tell me how much he admires my physique and haircut um, <laughs> to let me know that uh, he had just been given the okay from the doctors. He's completely on the road to recovery, which was... Tremendous news, so praise God for that. Uh, John McGorlick is with us this morning. John's been having a rough time, and his wife Trudy, who is severely, severely disabled and unwell, not able to speak or feed herself or care for herself, has been having a really, really difficult time. And that's been really impacting on John, as you can appreciate, his beautiful wife suffering like that. So we just want to lift him before the Lord. I want to read to you a couple of scriptures, if you'll bear with me just for a moment. Um, a friend of mine sent me this a few days ago, and you all know it so well, but let me read it to you again. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Beautiful promise to the nation of Israel that reflects the character of our God and his heart towards all of you this morning in this place. Jeremiah goes on in chapter 32 and verse 17 and says, Ah, sovereign Lord, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. Amen? Amen. We, I want you to lift before the Lord Jenny and Bruce Marshall. 
Jenny and Bruce have been having, well, Jenny's been having some tests for cancer. Um, that has not gone the way they quite hoped, and they have more tests this week, mid to late this week, and they are very serious tests, and that's weighing very heavily on them. So I'd like you to be praying for them and be mindful of them this week as they bear a heavy load this week. So let's just gather together in prayer for a moment. And I want to acknowledge too, there are others here today, I'm sure, that are suffering that I have not mentioned. And that's more about my forgetfulness and more about my not knowing all of you. But be assured that promise is for you too. The Lord knows your situation. And no, there is nothing too difficult for our God. And uh, he wants to prove himself strong and faithful to you. And uh, we let's pray for one another. Father, we want to thank you for Andrew and Daphne. And we rejoice with our brother as he enjoys your presence and your comfort and your strength and uh, your glory beyond our imagination. And uh, it is we that grieve. And we pray for Daphne, you'll continue to be her strength. And for Mark and for Vicky. For the grandchildren, we just pray as this week they prepare themselves to celebrate Andrew's life, that you would be their comfort and their strength and go before them. And uh, we thank you for the honour it is to be able to worship you as we talk about our brother, as we think about him and all the wonderful things that you did for your glory through him. We thank you for him. Father, we thank you for Gina. She uh, is just a, a dynamo. And her joyful, joyful uh, heart and the way she's always smiling and her so polite. And yet, over the past months, she has carried a burden that many could not. And you have been strong to her and sustained her. And I thank you for Chris and I thank you for Felix and his home group. I thank you for Gina's mum. We pray you'll continue to meet her need and we bless you for her, Lord. Father, you moved powerfully in Dot's life this week. and She suffered some terrible news. And yet we know this was your care and your love for her and that you are going to prove yourself powerful and strong and that nothing is too difficult for you. Father, we praise you for Dominic. Could have easily have lost this precious man and yet you have raised him up to good health and we bless you for that. Father, we pray for our brother John McGorlick who's been really suffering and um, it just seems so unfair but we thank you that it is not outside your will and outside your strength and outside your blessing to strengthen him and fill him full of joy and we pray your healing upon Trudy, Lord, and thank you for it. And we pray as Jeff, uh, sorry, Lord, as Jenny and Bruce uh, go to the doctors this week and uh, receive other tests and other news, we pray you'll go before them. And whatever that is in your sovereign will, we ask that you would be their strength we ask that you would give them peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray for their precious children and family that they would know you to be the faithful and true God who is worthy of all of our attention. We pray in all these things that we have prayed and for the many others here that are suffering. We thank you, Lord, that you are good, strong, faithful. We thank you that in the end we win, you are victorious. You have defeated death upon the cross and we shall raise up to be with you forever. And we give you glory this day and all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And isn't it just an honour to be able to pray to a God who answers prayers? That we're not praying up against the wall or we're not just blowing out candles or we're not burning incense in our homes or bowing down before something we've made with our own hands that does not hear us or does not care or has not life. But our God has 
all these things in his hand. He is altogether powerful. There is no one like him. No one like him. And uh, what an honour it is to be before you today. Today I want to talk to you about how we change because we all need to change. We all, if we're brutally honest with one another, we all have a desire to change. I don't think there'd be a person in the room that could put their hand up and say that I, my life is so together and I'm living such a pleasing life before the Lord, I have no desire for change. And that'd be just the one person who probably is not on their medication. And the rest of us realise that we are in need of constant change. And uh, it, for me, has been like a slippery watermelon seed. Every time I think I've got my hand... Now, I've got it in within my grasp, it just seems to squeeze out between my fingers and the harder I try to hold on to it, the further it seems to get away from me. So I wanted to come to God's word and say, how do we actually change? God, how do we change? How do we change with the knowledge that we are people who are in a broken world? And what I mean by a broken world is when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the curse for that sin came upon not only us as human beings, but upon the actual earth itself and all of God's creation. And we bear that mark today, the sinful nature and the fruit that that sinful nature bears in our lives, where our hearts are often desiring things that they should not desire where we seem to be constantly swept away and not serving God, but serving ourselves. Where it's, we, we never seem to be quite happy enough. We never seem to be joyful enough. We never seem to be content enough. We, we never seem to be... And we crave and we crave and we crave and we are broken people. How do we actually change? What is the secret to change? There, there are bookstores that make a living off books on how to change. There, there are bucket loads of nuts out there that think they know how to change. And they've achieved some change in their life or they've actually lied and they haven't achieved change, but they tell other people they can change. And people are so desperate to change, they pay them heaps and heaps of money to ch I don't know how you get that job. Where can I get a job like that? But God says that we can change. And I want to share with you the 12 steps to change today. Nine steps. We're running out of time. Let's make it six. And that's exactly what it's not. It's not a 12-step process. It's not a nine-step process. It's not a six-step process. It's a relationship. And it's all about the gospel. The gospel is for believers, not just unbelievers. Change, permanent, long-term, dynamic, supernatural change occurs through the gospel. And I want to try and explain what that means to you, not just some slogan that I'm going to throw on you today and you've got to go out there and chant it 15 times and cross your big toe over your other toe and bam, you're going to have change. But hang on because God speaks to what it is to change. The gospel is not just for unbelievers, it's also for believers. The gospel is not how just how we begin in Christ. It's how we continue to grow in Christ. This is how potent the gospel is. It's not just something, a mantra that we prayed at the beginning, please God, forgive me. Remember the time when we were so desperate, and this is how I felt, so desperate and so sick of my sin and so sick of myself 
and so needing to be saved that when I came to God, everything was on the table and I came before him and I said, God, forgive me. I need you to forgive me. I need to be, I want to be born. I want you to take control of my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Saviour. And my heart was there. All of my heart was there. I, I, I met that prayer when I prayed it to God. And he met me. And he indwelt me with his spirit. And the process of change began in my life. And for early days, that change was radical and dynamic and, and quick. That, that power that I experienced at the beginning is the same power that I need today all these years later. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. It's not just how we begin in Christ. It's how we continue to grow. The gospel contains all the resources that we need to be the people that God wants us to be. And this is the key, to be the people that we really want to be. Who doesn't want to be the person that God wants them to be? At the end of the day, when we put it all on the table, who would not take up the offer for God to say, I will make you the person I want you to be? That, that, that's not a difficult, like, that's not a sour thing. That's a joyful thing to be invited to. The way you grow in Christ is not growing beyond the gospel, but it's by growing deeper into the gospel. You don't leave it behind. It's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the, it's the A through Z. The gospel is meant to be with us all the way. The gospel is so deep, so profound. The gospel is the message that Jesus died for our sins. Isn't that great news? Gets better. He rose again and offered us salvation, forgiveness from our sins. To be reunited with our Creator. And not just in the future, but here, right now. Experiencing what it means to be reunited with our Creator, to be forgiven of our sins, right now. It, it's meant to impact how we speak to one another. It's meant to influence the way we spend our time with one another. It's meant to influence our most difficult relationships. It's meant to influence the way we spend our money, we spend our time. The gospel is not something that we just claim as a mantra at the beginning and then leave behind, but the gospel is meant to permeate every part of our lives. That it is the cornerstone of change within our lives. Lasting change comes through growing deeper into the gospel and not adding to the gospel. I'm born again. And now I'm going to, to read this book on how to change and I'm going to do these 12 steps and I'm going to drink water 15 times a day and I'm not going to have any more sugar. We've got a few of those nuts in our office. They're going to die the same as I am. Just not as happy. Oh, they'll be skinny. They'll be skinny, but they won't be happy too weak to have fun <laughs> I'll name them later you can tell who they are they're trying to put on this happy face but they're quite withered and need help to get to the back of the auditorium <laughs> allowing the wonder of what Christ has achieved on our behalf to permeate every part of your life I have a spiritual gift that I want to share with you it's quite magnificent really I don't think any of you here I've looked around have the same gift that I have and that is that I can make a mountain out of a molehill and uh, 
I do this, unfortunately, with my precious wife. She'll say something inadvertent and I choose to take advance at it. It was not meant to offend me, but I have that gift too. I can take things and be offended by them when they weren't meant to offend. And I build a huge mountain hill out of it and I can get moody and upset and I'll go for a long drive and have dark thoughts about my future and about our marriage and about why I get treated so poorly and all of a sudden I've got this huge story going on. And then quietly the Spirit of God speaks to me and says, Hey dummy, have you forgotten what I've done for you? Just take a moment to remember what I've given to you. Just take a moment to remember what Jesus Christ achieved on the cross for you. Just take a moment to remember how he's changed your life. How he has redeemed you and purchased you back how he's provided you hope and answers to prayer and how he's provided you a home in heaven. How he's made it possible for you to be forgiven and here you are making a mountain out of a molehill over something that your wife said to you that wasn't even meant to offend. That's what it means to be permeated by the gospel because that drives me home and drives me to my knees and drives me back to reconciliation. This is what it means to be impacted by the gospel. God, I have this money that you have prospered me with and how do I use that in the light of what you have done for me and the home that I have in heaven and all the blessings that you've poured out on me, how should I use that to honour you? So transformed is that person by the gospel. Lord, how am I supposed to conduct myself within a community and within my business and within my workplace not to please myself and not to lift myself up, but to remind myself again, these are all the beautiful things that you've done for me in the gospel. And how do I reveal that in a way that brings glory to you? God, how do I speak into this situation in a way that brings glory to you? God, how can I love my neighbour? How can I love my friend? How can I love my partner? How can I love my wife in a way that shows that I believe that you are the God of the heavens and the earth, that you created me in your image, that you sent your son to die for me and that you redeemed me back, that you answer my prayers, that you transform my life and that you will one day take me into glory. How can I live in a way that shows that? Do you get where I'm going with this? People come to me and it's an honour to talk about the challenges they have and I've, over the last four years in particular as the pastor for counselling and it is an honour. It is an honour to sit there and feel their pain and hear their story and understand just how difficult it is because it's just like my story and just like my pain and God meets me and I know that God meets them in the midst of that. And the question I'd like to leave them with as they leave out of my office is, in the light of the struggle that I am facing, in the light of the circumstances of my life which I cannot change, in the light of the circumstances in my life that I cannot change, I cannot change the weather, I cannot change my neighbour, I cannot change anything other than God's grace allows it. But in the light of that, how do I live a life that honours you? How do I respond to that in a way that says, I believe that Jesus died for me? When a husband comes to me and says, I've got a little bit of a problem with anger and I'm struggling in my marriage and I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just using this as an example. This could be a husband or a wife. 
and we talk through the situation, I say to them, how are you meant to treat your wife when you think about all that God's done for you? Not seven steps, not guilt, but when you think about what, the God, has done, what God has done for you, how he's loved on you, how he's forgiven you, how he's purchased you back, how does that make you want to respond to your wife? And I found that to be a transforming thought. And we can apply that to any circumstances in our lives. This is making the gospel permeate every part of our lives. When the gospel changes you, it changes your desires. It energises you to do good and to love right things. Now this is critical. Try and get a hang on it. And this is not because you can't. This is just because I'm poor at explaining. Try and get your head around this for a minute. We're in a broken world. We agree? We are under the curse of sin and we have distorted sinful desires. Because of the fall, we desire to serve ourselves. We have this innate thing within us where we desire to serve ourselves more than we want to serve our Creator. Even though we know God, we don't always believe that God is good or that He's got our best intentions, so we've got to go and get these things for ourselves. So we live our lives to please ourselves and to meet our distorted desires. And then the gospel comes in. And the gospel says, actually, when we gaze into the face of the living God and we are in wonder and awe of all that he has done for us, it orders our desires. It trains our desires. It transforms our desires where I am no longer wanting to meet my own need, but I realise that my need can only be met in him. And I want to serve him with my life. The tree, the key rather, the key to change is being transformed by the gospel. Real change begins not with you being told what you are to do for God. Real change doesn't begin by you being told what you are to do for God. Go out and do this. Just work harder. Obey these seven rules. Pray longer. Read more. Meditate longer. But actually real change comes when you believe what God has done for you. When you are transformed by the knowledge of God you have done so much for me and it has created within me awe for you. It's created within me a desire for you. It's created within me because of the working of your spirit when I meditate upon the gospel it moves me to want to worship you with all of my life. This is the key to change. It's not a program, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's beautiful that it's not a program because some of us are really good at programs. And I, I admire you. I, I know people who are good at programs. And I have often stood back and looked at you and thought, man, I wish I was like that. But I'm not. And I know that many of you here are not like that. But praise God, he hasn't made it a program. He's made it a relationship so men, even men like me, can be in awe of God and can know the wonder of what he has done for me and know the reality of how that changes the way that I want to live. Even a good thing can be a bad desire. You may have a desire to drink 70 litres of water a day. You don't go to work anymore because you haven't got time to go to work because you've got to drink all this water. You don't go out anymore at Bible study because you can't get your mouth off the tap. It's too hard to read your Bible and drink that much water at the same time. Water is a really, really good thing. It cleans you. This guy must have a really clean system. 70 litres of water going through his system. It's a stupid illustration, 
So are distorted desires. They're stupid too. You can take a good thing and you can completely overdo it. And God allows us to order our desires as we begin to worship him in the right way. Believing right always precedes behaving rightly. Spiritual disciplines have no power in and of themselves. Spiritual disciplines have no power in and of themselves to bring change, lasting change. Reading your Bible is just it's beautiful. It's beautiful when it comes out of, God, I am just in awe of what you've done for me. And when I read your word, God, I, I see even with fresh eyes how wonderful the gospel is. And I just am, am moved to worship you, God. God, when I pray to you in the light of what you have done for me, when my heart is full of gratitude and I pray to you and I remind myself of the wonderful gospel, my heart swells with you and my faith grows because it's not a discipline, it's an act of worship. When you go into a discipline, you're coming from the wrong end. You think that your discipline is going to create a heart full of worship and bring lasting change, but it never works. You must always come from the other way. Life-changing power that the gospel brings. Now let's have a look at some passages of scripture together. Eventually, next week, we'll get to James chapter 4. But for now, come with me just to one verse in John chapter 15. It'll be on the screen for you. John chapter 15, verse 5. And I haven't got time to take you through all the passages, but I just want to make a couple of comments on this. The things that this teaches us about how we grow and how we bring lasting change to our lives. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now when we find spiritual growth spoken about, particularly in the New Testament, particularly in the uh, Pauline writings, you'll see that he often uses agricultural analogies. Metaphors that speak about plants growing. I don't know if you realise what's being said here, but spiritual growth can often be slow. And that's one of the first things that we must take out of this. Spiritual growth, we had a lemon tree at home. We've been planning on moving from one place to another and so we bought a lemon tree and we had it in a pot because we were going to take it to the new house. And I loved that lemon tree. I prayed over it. We barbecued together. We talked about the kids. I did everything to make that lemon tree grow. And last week it just died, a rotten thing. Just fell over and I, it didn't even give me any warning. I felt broken hearted. Never ever in the five years that I've been praying over that tree did it give me one lemon. It just gave me these little nuggety buds. Probably it's better off that it's dead. It takes so long to grow lemons. We went out yesterday for a new lemon tree. Okay? And I was looking around the garden centre for one that already had lemons on it. I thought, hang, wait in another five years. I want one that produces fruit right now. I want a microwave lemon. I want to be able to go out there and say, I want a lemon. And a lemon appears on the bush. Perhaps if I bought some lemons from Woolies and duct taped them onto the lemon tree that we've got, I, that would do it. You see, we can't force spiritual growth. And we even can't make it happen if we, it doesn't matter how many times we water that tree or what we do, oftentimes that will not produce it. And, and spiritual growth won't occur in our lives 
that way either. Spiritual growth comes through the gospel. It comes through an intimate relationship with God where we are in awe of what he has done for us. And our aim is not per se to grow spiritually. Our aim is to honour him with our lives. And as we honour him with our lives and we bring ourselves under the gospel, that wonderful spiritual growth occurs in our lives. And yes, it can be slow, but it's there. You ever heard, uh, you've heard people say to a child, you don't see them for, I don't, kids do grow, like you don't see them for a couple of years and then you see them again and they've got tall and hairy and their voices have got deep and you say, man, you've grown so much since I last saw you. We don't notice it day by day, but it does happen, but it is a work of the Spirit as we humble ourselves under the gospel. So what does it mean to humble yourself under the, what does that look like? Could you tell me if I said, how do I grow spiritually? and What does it mean for me to understand the gospel and, and submit my life to the gospel? This is what it means for me in my worship. It means when I come before the living God in prayer and when I take those moments in my life to meditate about where I'm going and what's important to me, those quiet moments when I sit on the couch where I'm able to get aside and alone and think about what's happening with my beautiful wife and my children and my grandchildren and my work and my friends and my colleagues and where I'm heading. To be able to come before the Lord in prayer and say, God, I thank you for my family. I thank you in the light of what you have done for me. That you would send your son to die in my place. That you would forgive me of all of my sin." That you would indwell me and give me a new nature. That you would give me answers to prayer. That you would give me the hope of heaven. That you would give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. And in the light of that, God, I thank you for my precious wife. And I I thank you that you can work in in the life of my children. And I thank you, Lord, that you can transform my grandchildren. I thank you, Lord, that you can transform my workplace. I thank you, Lord. And the gospel brings hope and life and faith and strength. But we are ignorant of the gospel. We are ignorant of the gospel. It's like we've suffered a brain injury and we've forgotten what God has done for us. It's like we've suffered some sort of an illness and we think that the gospel has just been left back over here somewhere and it doesn't apply for where we are right now. And we need to shake ourselves up and say, no, I need to remind myself of what God has done for me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 6. Reads, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. This is the good news of the gospel. As it also does among you, since the day you heard it, And understood the grace of God in truth. And here Paul speaking of the gospel is talking about how the gospel is spreading throughout the countryside. And how churches are raising up. And how lives are being transformed by the gospel which we see throughout the New Testament. But the implication here is too that the gospel is bearing fruit in their lives. This this wonderful message of Jesus Christ's grace and truth of God being understood. So it's not like Paul saying, well, the gospel is only for raising up new churches and for winning people to Christ. He's saying it's for every single one of us and we need to continue to meditate upon that because it brings us 
growth in our lives. It brings change in our lives. The church is growing and we should be growing as well. And if you're not experiencing gospel change, how are you going to tell other people about it? This is something that impacted me heavily when I was younger. I got saved out of a non-Christian family. And it was just, let me explain it this way. I was actually driving past a town called Onslow where my family lived. And as I was driving to it, it takes quite a few hours to get off the main road into Onslow. I was thinking about how I could share the gospel with my brother. My brother who didn't acknowledge God and he was an older brother so it makes it even harder. And do you know what I was paralysed with? I was paralysed with, well, actually, the gospel's not working in my life, so how can I tell my brother about it? I find myself trapped in my sin. I find myself trapped in my negative thinking. I find myself trapped in my doubt. I find myself trapped in all these things where I really don't feel like it's working for me and I'm not growing. So how in the world, then, can I become a salesman for something that doesn't work for me? I can get on the TV. They, they do it there. They sell stuff that doesn't work. They pretend it does work. They pretend that they love it. They pretend they can't live without it and they want you to buy it so you can pretend you can't live without it as well. So we must be people who are transformed by the gospel. It's not enough for us to sit here and acknowledge one another. We've got to really ask ourselves, is my life permeated by the reality that Jesus Christ died for me? Does that impact the way that I think about myself this very day? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, and I want to take you down to verse 9 as well. Peter speaks about this so beautifully again. In verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And he goes on, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And if these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And then he says in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. He tells you the secret. Because we often read this passage, and I've heard it preached, that you add one thing to another. It's like a, a maturing process. You, you get brotherly love, virtue and affection, and you just work out which one you're not really good at, and you work harder on that one. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying that for a person who's impacted by the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, their life will bear all of these things. Brotherly love, affection, virtue. And have a look in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says the secret to bearing fruit, the secret to change in our lives, the secret to continue to mature in the Christian faith is not a list of things that you're trying to add to all the time. It's being in awe of what God has done for you. God, I am overwhelmed by the fact that you would forgive me of my sins. I ask you, to be honest, if you were a man or a woman who woke up in the morning and reminded yourself in prayer of what God has done for you, and when temptation knocked on your door, 
you were to pause for a moment and remind yourself of God, you have done so much for me. You have met all my needs in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've forgiven all my sins. You answer my prayers. You have given me a new nature and you've made my future secure. I would say to you that that sin that seemed so tempting a moment before will have dulled and be unattractive in the light of the wonder of worshipping God. We need to be people who are transformed not by a process, a step process, but by the indwelling of the Spirit. Romans 12, just very quickly off track, picks this up beautifully. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world press you into its mould. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, It's a spiritual process. So he's saying, as you meditate upon the gospel... The Holy Spirit works this wonderful inward transformation in you and it creates new desires and new hopes. Faith in what God has done for you releases the life of God in you. When you understand who God is and what he's done for you in the gospel, it restructures your heart so that you begin to desire him and it brings lasting change in your lives. This is the key to change. This is the key to change. That's page one. We've got two to go. No. <laughs> Come with me down. Can we flick through, please, brother, to 1 Corinthians 13? Thank you very much. This is gorgeous. Have a listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, wouldn't that be cool? Okay, That's a pretty enormous spiritual gift, isn't it? And Paul is able to say that, that I have spoken in tongues of men and angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I'm able to preach the word of God. I'm able to speak out the word of God with power so that it brings change in people's lives. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be like being like a Billy Graham or someone who had this wonderful gift of preaching. But if I don't have love, I am just a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge... Wouldn't that be cool to have the spiritual gift where you understand these things profoundly and you're able to explain them to others? And if I had faith so as to remove a mountain, now wouldn't that be an awesome party trick? You get your friends around for a birthday and you make the local hills appear over into the ocean. I mean, people would be in awe, would they not? And yet I have not love. It's worth nothing. If I give up my body to be burned, he goes on to say, When the offering plate comes around, you light yourself up for the glory of God. Very, very impressive. Very dangerous on pews like we've got, but very, very impressive. And have not love, he says it's absolutely worth nothing. We are meant to be consumed by and transformed by the love of God. We are meant to be working out of the love of God. The radical news of the gospel is that the love of God expressed through the, go- the, uh, the gospel is the engine that gives us the power to live the way that God wants us to live and the way that we want to live. Did you hear that? Every other form of philosophy, every other theory is always working from you put this much effort in and you'll get this much back. And God comes to us and he says, when you meditate upon the gospel... The supernatural power of the Holy Spirit will transform your life and bring lasting change. You are not in this alone. 
This is not something that you have to dig out yourself. This is not something that you have to find yourself. This is not something where you're alone. This is the work of God in you as you meditate upon his wonderful, wonderful gospel. The gospel produces in you what no amount of religion can. It can produce within you a desire for God. God, I want to desire you. And as I meditate upon what he has done for me, the working of the Holy Spirit in my life brings me great love and affection for God. And that love and affection constrains me to serve God with all of my mind, with all of my strength and with all of my body. This brings lasting change to our lives. Isn't that good that God didn't just come to us and say, Jeff, Mary, Tom, Bill, David, Brad, get your lives together or else. But God comes to us and says, I will transform you. I've given you a new nature. And as you meditate upon the gospel, not just at the beginning, but all through your life, as you begin to realize how that permeates every part of your life, so it will generate within you the power to honor me and the power to have lasting change in your lives. The gospel brings lasting change. Can we move through to the final slide? And I have a prayer there written out for you, a gospel prayer. It's not my own. I've borrowed it and transformed it slightly. But what I have done with that prayer is I've used that prayer early in the morning. It's a way of starting my day and reminding myself when I roll out of bed what God has done for me. How God has worked powerfully in my life. And it it reshapes my desire to want to honour him during the day. Not out of my own strength, but out of his strength. Now this gospel prayer that I've got for you is at the info desk. I've made it into a little bookmark so that you can put it in your Bible or a book. And you're welcome to go after the service and take one of those bookmarks and use this prayer to transform the way you are living your life. Roll out of bed in the morning and say, in essence, God, how do I reflect your grace today? How do I reflect your gospel today? How do I speak to my beautiful wife in a way that honours you and shows that I believe that you died for me and forgave me of my sins? How do I interact with my noisy grandchildren in a way that honours you and blesses you? How do I speak to my neighbour who wishes I would catch on fire in the backyard in a way that honours you and blesses you? How do I drive my car? How do I spend my money? How do I live my life? How do I find lasting change? I find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please... If the Lord has spoken to you at all through this message today, take one of those bookmarks, pray that prayer, and remember change comes through the gospel. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'm in the office. You're welcome to come and have a coffee. I'd love to make you a coffee, pray that through with you, talk more about it, and hopefully together come to a deeper understanding of the wonderful gospel of Christ. Let me pray for you as a close. Father, thank you for the honour of being your child. Thank you for redeeming us back. Thank you for justifying me, for making me a joint heir with you. Thank you for your forgiveness and the wonderful eternal life that I now have because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Father, for your indwelling spirit. 
who has given me a new nature and new desires and new strength and all this through Jesus dying on the cross for me. Father, I want to thank you for raising up the Lord Jesus Christ to new life and in the same way I acknowledge that you will raise me up and I bless you for that and I pray that that won't just be a prayer for me, Lord, but that that would change the way I think and I act today. And when I am distorted and desiring to sin and desiring to believe that you are not able to meet my need, I pray that this truth will transform that. Thank you that I'm chosen. Thank you that I'm accepted in the beloved. Thank you that I'm redeemed and that I have an inheritance. And I thank you that the precious Holy Spirit whom has sealed me will never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you for making a home for me in heaven. Thank you for hearing my prayer today. Thank you for meeting all my needs. Thank you for the precious Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing him to die in the place of a worthless man like me. Thank you for the power of raising him from the dead. I thank you that he's seated at your right hand. I thank you that soon he will return for us. Help me to be a man who is transformed by this wonderful truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.